Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Courtney. I'm here with my spouse, Royce, and together we are the Ace Couple. And I hope that each and every listener out there is having a wonderful Aromantic Spectrum Awareness Week. The first full week following Valentine's Day is a saw. Or for sake of ease, we also just like to call it Aero Week. If you are looking for ways to support aromantic creators this week, then I highly recommend you head on over to theacecouple.com slash marketplace. We are featuring aromantic shop owners, artists, stores all week long. There are some really amazing folks on there and a wide variety of things. So if you're actually looking for a romantic pride merch, you can find it. If you're looking to get artwork commissioned, you can find it. If you're looking for games, video games perhaps, you can find that as well. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Because one of the several brilliant games that you can find over on our little marketplace is a romantic, asexual, and disabled created game, Arcade Spirits. And now, if you've listened to a, a fair number of our episodes, then I am sure you have heard us say at one point or another that we love a good dating simulator. Or maybe we love a bad dating simulator? <laughs> It's kind of both. It's both. It, it's not like how some people like to watch bad movies that are unintentionally <laughs> funny. It's it's a dating simulator that doesn't always take the romance very seriously. Yeah, yeah. Or it at least has something, you know, kind of quirky and unique about it in some way. Like when we date things that aren't humans, like uh, pigeons, for example. Love that nonsense. Absolutely. 100% on board. So why are we talking about a dating simulator during a Romantic Spectrum Awareness Week? Well, Arcade Spirits did something that we really liked, because it is a dating sim, but it's a sim where you do not have to date. You do not have to romance. And in fact, your character can canonically be Arrow Ace. So let's chat about it a little. So Arcade Spirits takes place in an alternate reality, assumingly somewhere near the present day. It isn't explicitly stated. It is actually intentionally not stated. The future year. 20... Exactly. <laughs> but in this future, in this alternate reality, the big video game crash of the 80s never happened, and video games, particularly arcades are a massive form of entertainment, even more so than today. A big focus, I think, on the actual arcades, because obviously video games are huge that you can just get and play at home, video game consoles. But arcades at this point in real life are a bit retro and a bit novel. They're a bit novel. They're a bit of a... Uh... I think that arcades still exist now partially because of nostalgia. Mm, mm -hmm. Yes. But it is a place to take kids to that have a lot of bright lights and noises, and it's, it's a different kind of entertainment than sitting down in front of a TV at home playing a, a game console. Yeah, and you know, I grew up in an arcade, so I definitely do have a bit of that nostalgic element. So it's kind of interesting to play a game where... 
arcades are not a thing of a past. In, in fact, there's a big community around arcades. Like, there is an arcade community, and it is a more mainstream type of entertainment. Although, apparently, uh, the arcades I was around growing up are not the usual arcades. I was telling this story to our all-ace D&D group recently about the arcade that was in my hometown, and everyone was, like, horrified by it. And I was like, this isn't weird. That was just, that was a staple of our city for many it, years. It was something that I saw parodied in cartoons when I was growing up. It's like the, before Chuck E. Cheese dominated that style of restaurant, place, there were other local places very similar. Yeah, and that that's kind of what it was. I mean, it was called Gigglebees, first of all, and there was a tricycle-riding coyote who brought you your pizza, and his name was Wilbur, and apparently he's terrifying. <laughs> in, in the FNAF era? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, because, I mean, this, this was before... Anyone in my probably home state had ever been to uh, Chuck E. Cheese, but it did have the cast of characters, it had pizza, it had soft serve ice cream, it had all these arcade games, there was a ball pit for the much younger kids, but then there was also like bumper cars, and oh my goodness, I love that place. See, I never went to a place like that when I was a kid. I feel like I knew that they existed. But all I can remember is, I want to say maybe an episode of Rugrats way back when, <laughs> where the idea of having an animatronic band in a place like this was being parodied as awful at that point in time. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, arcade spirits, near present day alternate reality, arcades are a big deal. You play the character, who you can name, but canonically their name is Ari Cater. Which took me, like, we were on, like, our fourth or fifth playthrough when I was like, oh, Arcader! <laughs> that took me way too long. Which is really funny, because near the end of the first playthrough, I went, oh, I get it now. <laughs> and apparently you just ignored me. Because the the two names, I feel like, first and last name, were not consistently mentioned next to each other. Not as a full name, no. But anyway, your character, there is some amount of a character creation screen. You have the opportunity to customize your appearance to a certain degree, and your gender is selectable. Well, your pronouns are selectable. Your pronouns are selectable. Yeah, it's, you know, he, she, and they are the options. But past the character selection screen, you get into the story of the game, which is the story of a person who is down on their luck, wondering what to do with their life. And they find a new job working at a local, individually owned arcade. Because of the help of a futuristic assistant app named Iris. Yes, I forgot about Iris. The sentient, in the process of becoming sentient, phone application who is trying to help you live your best life. In work and in love. If you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you can opt out of love. Which is really interesting because we're, we're going to have some spoilers for the actual game. So if you don't like having spoilers and you want to play this game first, 
go play the game first. Yeah, why are you listening to why, this? Why are you, go away. <laughs> but I will say right off the bat, because Iris kind of hooks you up with a job interview and says, all right, done, go interview at this job. But she also says, oh, well, since I'm your assistant, I'm trying to get to know you better. And how, how do you feel about, like, oh, office romances? And you can kind of do three options right off the bat, where you can say, I'm not even interested in dating. And if you tell her that right off the bat, she will respect that. Or you can kind of have two different levels of, you know, maybe after a while, after I've gotten to know someone a little bit, then maybe something will happen. Or you can pick flirty first impressions where basically you're just, you have the option to be completely smitten with everyone (laughs) right off the bat. You have a thirsty option in in every introduction. And as dating simulator visual novel completionists, we did all of them. And actually, as as aces, some of the flirty first impressions were just hilarious. Just really, like, really funny. Look at this thing I would never say to another human being. Look at these thoughts that I would never even think privately in my own head. <laughs> like, oh, I don't know that guy's name yet, so in my head, I'm just going to call him yummy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And so you go to this job interview, and it is a smaller sort of family-owned arcade in a place where a large arcade conglomerate is swallowing up smaller arcades in the area. So it's not immediately as successful as other arcades. And the owner of Brandstein is absolutely charming. Just precious little old lady with knitting in her bag might just fall asleep and take a nap on you at any given moment. But also, the interview questions are just ridiculous. Like, if you were a dinosaur, what kind of dinosaur would you be? When the inevitable zombie apocalypse happens, how can you be of service to us in that situation? And of course, once you get the job, you start to gradually meet all of your co-workers, as well as some of the just regular customers at this small arcade. And these... Should you choose to date, are your dating prospects. And those prospects are Naomi, who is the resident hardware expert slash builder and repairer of all of the arcades at the at your new place of employment, the Funplex. The Funplex, yes. An entire plex of fun. Gavin, who handles the finances at said Funplex. Ashley, who is the company's mascot? She's a floor attendant like we are hired to do, but she's also... A bird? Yeah, a thing of horrors. (laughs) Yeah, you first meet her in a mascot costume, and it's really funny because your three options are like incoherent screaming, coherent coherent screaming, screaming, or silently await death. (laughs) Ashley is a fan of cosplaying and likes to get into branding and marketing sort of things. Mm-hmm. So those are all the co-workers, but then we have some regulars. Yeah, rounding out the rest of the crew are people who are just always there mm-hmm. and willing to help out even though they don't get paid. Yeah. Teo is a local star on a fictional rhythm game. Think DDR-ish adjacent. Yeah, very, very Dance Dance Revolution. Queen Bee is a competitive gamer and something that is definitely not League of Legends. (laughs) Definitely not League of Legends. 
But because arcades are so important to culture, she actually, like, streams from the arcade. Like, she rigs up a stream and is basically like a Twitch streamer streaming directly from the arcade every single day. From the arcade. Um, But also on a professional team. I believe Naomi rigged that up. Mmm, well done, Naomi. Percy is someone who is slowly preparing to try to take the world record in a particular game that is not Pac-Man. Not Pac-Man, Mr. Mooby. And the last person on the list is Juniper, who is your current roommate and longtime friend. The secret option. Ooh, it's, it's not immediately obvious that she could potentially be a dating prospect. <laughs> so for a game that is very surrounded and steeped in arcade culture, the gaming elements of the game itself are shown like in your face all the time. It's, it's a part of the system. You have a very clear idea of where your state is with each character. It's being quantified by your sentient phone app. With points that are meaningless, like, in whose line is it anyway? (laughs) The points don't matter! Your responses all have a particular characteristic or vibe behind them that is also tallied. And those sort of impact some of the key decisions in the game, where if you tend to respond in a particular way throughout the game, it's going to push you in that direction for some of those responses as opposed to some others during some of the big important moments. Yeah, and that's like, are you a bit of a jokester? Are you replying with humor? Or are you very even-keeled? Or are you like Queen Bee and you curse a lot? (laughs) In addition to the points that don't matter, you also get uh, pizza facts. So that's kind of fun. Your iris subscribes you to pizza facts. Such as, did you know that when you have pizza on a bagel, you can eat pizza anytime? And here's one thing. We'll, we'll get into a little bit about each of the characters and some of the things we, we liked about the game. But if you are playing this and you sit down and you want to play it with like the aromantic, asexual root, you can do what we said and just say right off the bat that you're not interested in dating. And you'll still be able to play the game. But I think the really key dialogue that sort of gives us the actual words, aromantic, asexual, having sort of a conversation with your iris about what that means and why you don't want to date, you kind of have to say at first that you do want to date. Was that exclusive to one of those routes? I I couldn't recall the differences because we did play. We did get about as close as you can to 100%ing the game, which meant skipping a lot of dialogue that we had seen frequently, Mm -hmm. and the lines have blurred for me a little bit after, what, like, eight playthroughs. Well, there are several different chapters that each have a different sort of event going on around them, and you can choose what which of all these people you want to spend a little more time with than others, whether or not you're trying to date them. But if you tell your iris right off the bat that, yeah, maybe I'm okay with dating someone... There comes a point in one of the later chapters of the game where it's sort of like decision time. Like, you've met all of these people, and now you have a golden opportunity to take someone on a romantic date and, you know, start this romantic journey with them. Who do you choose? And that's when you get 
all of the co-workers, all of the regulars, and your roommate Juniper at the bottom of the list, who you didn't even know was an option until this point, or nobody. Right. And I think the best dialogue comes when you click nobody. The, the question is that I had was, do you remember if that dialogue is automatically hit if you selected no romance in the beginning? If you selected no romance in the beginning, then it doesn't even give you the choice to pick someone. Correct. So the scene ends up sort of, sort of just playing out for you, so you don't even really have a choice at that point, because you aren't choosing all of these people, which one do you want to hang out with for the night, which one do you want to go on a date. Basically, it tells you, well, everybody's already, you know, paired off, they've already made their own plans, they've already gone off, so... You know, good old-fashioned Juniper, your your good friend of many years, your roommate, you're going to go have a nice night as friends. Which is nice. My, my one, like, light critique of that is that if you say right off the bat at the very beginning that you don't want to date, that is a big decision later down the line that is just completely taken away. It is. If I can remember correctly playing through it, I think the main reason that you would want to say no romance right from the beginning is if seeing some of those thirsty comments that you didn't necessarily need to choose, but seeing if seeing the options irritated you. Mm. It just completely mm. takes those options away. If you do play a different route, you can also just choose to not say those things yeah. and still get to the same place. Mm -hmm. And especially if you don't pick the flirty first impressions, then you won't you might still have something that might be a little bit flirty, but you aren't going to be, like, calling people yummy. You aren't going to be, like, hot damn. I Boy, think, she's sure sexy. <laughs> I think there may have also been a few lines here and there throughout the game that were toned down a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. I can't quite remember, but I think that was the gist of the I'm not interested in romance options. Yeah, which the reason why I like it, because if you just say off the bat, I'm not interested in romance, then your iris is just like, great, noted, we won't even worry about that then. Which could be a very validating thing for someone who is aromantic, someone who isn't looking for a relationship. But if you're really looking for kind of a conversation behind it and to see those words put out... If you kind of go along like, yeah, yeah, okay, Iris, I guess you can tabulate my, like, relationship score with each of these people. But then she says, all right, time to choose. Who are you taking on a romantic date? And you say, nobody? She kind of gets flustered. She's like, I didn't account for this. <laughs> and that that's when you say, I'm aromantic and I'm asexual. And you sort of have, have this conversation with your, with your Iris, your becoming sentient phone app who is a regular character. You talk to her frequently in between every single chapter. And sometimes you can even just enlist her help for things that are going wrong in the arcade. Like, you'll have the option, oh, should I ask this arcade regular if he knows how to solve this problem, or should I ask my phone assistant? So that is something that if if any of you out here listening to this are like, hey, I want to check out that game, uh, that that's kind of my recommendation is that if you're looking for the rep and you want to see how that conversation plays out, I think the best option is to go along with it, go with the flow, say maybe after I get to know someone, something will happen, but then have that choice later to say nobody. Or you can be like us and just date everybody because <laughs> we did that. Just, just try all of it. 
Did you have a favorite route or route that you thought was especially interesting? A favorite route? Not necessarily. I think that the character I feel like I would have gotten along with the most in real life was Naomi. Mm. Who was she, also she was the first one we run the fir- the first route we went down. Also, I believe the first character you meet, aside from your roommate. Mm-hmm. Actually, I take that back. He no, ra- I think it's Gavin. You run into Gavin. Gavin and then Naomi. Yeah. Did you have one? Well, I'm trying to think because I we were both on the same page about starting with Naomi. I think after all the first impressions, she was kind of the one I was most curious about. However. After playing all of the roots, I think some of the other characters have more depth and surprises in their backstory that you really have to go down their route to learn that thing about them or to learn this added element of the story. That's true. Um, Ashley is working through the process of understanding their gender identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... Doesn't ever change pronouns, and that's why I use she, but if you get to know Ashley really well, there are definitely conversations of, like, I don't know if I feel this way, and I don't know what this means. And as a cosplayer is also... They specifically bring up feeling gender euphoria Mm -hmm. by cosplaying male roles. Yes. And I love that, too, because there's a scene where you go to this big, like, arcade convention... And Ashley shows up dressed like a butler, like with a fake mustache on and everything. And that's maybe one of my favorite single interactions in the entire game. Because this butler just shows up and you have the option to be like, wait a minute, I recognize this butler. Or you can just be like, a tea, good sir, Earl Grey. Or you can even be like, oh, be still my heart. (laughs) I didn't even know it, but I guess butlers are my type. (laughs) And I just thought that's great. And you'll see that no matter what route you're going down, but there's a big difference between just casually knowing Ashley and knowing that Ashley showed up wearing a butler costume at this convention versus sitting down and having lunch and having these deep conversations about why Ashley likes to cross-play, as they call it. And that's a big part of why we like this genre of games in the first place, is that... I mean, it's the digital equivalent of like a, a choose your own adventure book. If you ever picked one of those up back in the yes. day, <laughs> where there's a certain amount of material in the world, there's a certain amount of information there, but you can't put all the pieces together unless you go about it in a few different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And honestly, Ashley, out of all of the first impressions, Ashley was kind of lower on my list for someone I wanted to get to know, and maybe that's just a really superficial reason, because, you know, you see this very, like, blonde, bubbly sort of personality, and it's, it it is superficial, because you don't know what's behind that person, but based on all the first impressions, I was like, yeah, we don't need to do her, and I think, I think Ashley's route was one of the later ones that we ended up doing. It was. But then we got these details and this more depth and nuance about who this character really is. And that's what I really like. So I I thought that Ashley was a great character for that reason. I really liked Gavin's as well, because not only do you get a lot more of that character, because he's kind of... When you first meet Gavin, he's a bit buttoned down. He's a... 
He's very buttoned down. He's he's very buttoned down. He he's sort of a manager type at this arcade, and he butts heads with Naomi all the time. Because I was about to say, in how many scenes is he holding like a clipboard? Oh yeah, like he'll have a clipboard. He'll have his phone. This is actually why I mistakenly said we came into contact with Naomi first because that first interaction with Gavin is like it's a bit standoffish. Oh, you even have an option to like think to yourself after you have that interaction. Like if you if you picked flirty first impressions, you can be like, "Man, what a babe," uh, or you can be like, "Kind of a jerk." <laughs> like, what's up with that guy? <laughs> So, um, that's one of those things where, like, you have to try to get close to him, but once you do, he's a really great guy. But he also has a broader connection to sort of the lore of this world that you would never know unless you went down his route, because his family is very wealthy. He comes from a very wealthy family, but he did not want to inherit or benefit from any of his family's wealth. So he's trying to blaze his own trail and, you know, make a mark on the arcade world, trying to be a self-made man. But he's got siblings who are, like, in the tech world, and they'll buy up tech companies and sell them and merge them and, you know, doing doing capitalism. And so we learn a little more about the iris system if we if we go down his route. Like, Gavin has an iris on his phone also that we find out at a certain point eventually. <laughs> but he's also really, really wary of it because one of his siblings had a hand in that company and he's like, I know how they do business and I'm not impressed. I think the second person we chose to date was Queen Bee. Yes. Which I don't think gives you quite as much as Ashley and Gavin do. But if you get close enough to her, you learn her real name, which is a big step. And I think just personality-wise and who she is and what her deal is, I think is really interesting. And she was one of the most immediately interesting right off the bat characters to me. But I also surprisingly got a big soft spot for Percy after we did all the ones, because... I would say Percy was pretty low on my list and Ashley was pretty low on my list for immediate interests. But I don't know. I liked Percy. Percy's family trauma and medical situation got you? Look. <laughs> he He's always in the arcade playing this Mr. Movie game. And the thing is, your first impression of him is basically your first day on the job. He is killing it at this Mr. Moopy game to the point where no one else gets to have a turn because his turns take forever because he doesn't lose. He can stand there for hours at a time playing this game. It's it's explained that he's basically at the level, the extreme tier of a professional player attempting to go for the world record. And it's like, what you do is you do so well that you pad a bunch of lives so you can just walk away from the machine to go to the bathroom and just <laughs> die just die a few times in the process, and that's a part of playing the game for hours. Yes, and another customer is angry with him, like, hey, I want to play this game. So you go over to try to resolve this feud, and this guy who's just playing this game, not taking his eye off the screen while he's having this argument is like... Great, here's $2,000. Can I buy this game and it's mine now? <laughs> $3,000, in fact. 
And he just pulls $3,000 out of his pocket to try to buy the game. And he's like, well, I'm not taking it home. Like, it's going to stay here. It, it, it belongs in the arcade, but now I get to play it as long as I want. So it's like, okay, well, hello, Mr. Moneybags. Like, almost a pretentious level elite player. Like, I, I wasn't super interested in what his deal was after that first interaction. But then you get to know him and his baby sister was the one who loved this video game and taught him some of the tricks of this video game. And then she died of a heart condition and he wants to get that record so he can put the world record in her name, in her honor. And it's like, oh, (laughs) my heart. (laughs) But twist, he also has a heart condition. Oh, no. He only has two years to live, the doctors say. So yeah, I, I, I liked that. I liked that a lot. You know, as a dancer, I really, really, really wanted to like Teo more than I did. But Teo is the flirt of the game. Like, he's the one who will wink at you. And he, he's the one who talks a little flirty. And it's like, that personality of person has just never <laughs> appealed to me. He's still a good guy. I didn't terribly, like, hate anybody. I didn't dislike anyone, but Teo is basically, like, a community coordinator for the large groups of people that go to places like this and play rhythm games. And even in virtual settings, that's too many people for me. (laughs) But yeah, that's also something interesting, too, because if you don't get to know Percy... During your first playthrough, he actually, like, at one point just keels over and you need to call an ambulance for him. And, like, if you didn't get to know him at all before that point, then it's like, okay, hey, surprise. (laughs) And then you feel kind of guilty because it's at this big event that you planned and you advertised, ooh, we're going to try to break the world record on this game. So then you have the guilt of, like, I didn't even know this person too well and I just way overextended him until he had a... Cardiac event. So regardless of which character you get to know better, what sort of a standard plot points that you'll hit every time, regardless? So the central plot to the game is pretty similar, with some scenes varying here and there based off of who you're interacting with the most, what your choices are, those sorts of things. But after getting your job at the Funplex, you kind of start out just... Getting immersed in the environment, getting to know everyone, your first big issue is how do you resolve a whole bunch of problems at work? People being rowdy, a big surprise birthday celebration coming up, cupcakes getting thrown at you, angry customers, those sorts of things. Ah, yes, the great cupcake war of 20. (laughs) After that, the next big plot point is going out to a... Very unique auction? That's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, it's it's a little auction put on by a few people who are in the know, who are in the same group, who are connected to this one wealthy individual. Hamza. Quite a character. And depending on where you go there, there's a bit of corporate sabotage going on. There's a bit of sci-fi supernatural. Is that how you would call that one video game? Yeah, this is like at the estate for like a pop star who died, who was secretly an arcade fanatic, so had like a private collection of old cabinets and things. 
and her spirit got trapped in one of them? Essentially, um, it's it's a bit of an odd segment that kind of stands out from the rest of the game. I guess as a a plot line sitting underneath the main storyline is part of the technology of this alternate universe and how Iris came to be and a essentially sentient arcade game out there exists due to tech corporation foolishness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's the first real only indication of like nefarious technology going on. Cause obviously like something's going on with Iris, but she's, she's just here to help you. She's, she's practically a friend at this point. But, like, you go to this auction and you get sucked into this game and you must play this game. But the game is also, like, trauma simulator, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you can try to rescue the spirit of this, you know, deceased singer. And then that's just kind of gone. You don't really notice that again until you've actually completed a route. Then there's sort of a cliffhanger, like, secret scene at the end that shows, like, oh, they're actually, like underground agents like investigating what's going on with this Mm -hmm. which i wonder we have not there is a sequel to this game out the new challengers we have not played it yet but i wonder if more of that plot line comes up in it at all it could be it could be we've purchased it we just haven't had the time to go through it yet (laughs) you've been quite busy lately yes but After going through this auction and getting one of three rare antique games, you make it back to the arcade, continue on, and end up at a big event. Yeah, you kind of decide that you want a bigger hand in this arcade that you work at. Like, you don't just want to be a floor attendant, you want to help it grow and get bigger. So you kind of, you know, precociously ask for a new position to be created for you where you can be like an events creator and bring people in. And so that gets you to a big convention, which is, Courtney, where you mentioned... The butler! Ashley was cosplaying as a butler at, yes. Cross-playing. And Teo has like a flash mob thing going on there, and... It's a big event. It's a big event. There's a lot going on. After the convention wraps up, you find yourself in the obligatory beach scene. That Does that happen right away, or do you actually do your event at the arcade first? I think you do your event at the arcade first, because the beach scene is kind of celebration for, hey, everything's going so well. I think you're right. Because you're at this convention to advertise, so there are a few different ways you can go about that. You can end up cosplaying with Ashley and and making an announcement on the big, you know, cosplay competition stage. Uh, Your friend and roommate Juniper is there, and she is an artist, and she actually offers to, like, make a poster for you. And you can pull off a heist to try to get the poster up on the big big screen. And kind of regardless of what choices you make, lots of people do come to your event. Which is maybe, maybe my biggest critique of the game. I really liked playing it and I loved playing through everything. And for me, when I play through all the different routes of a game, I start liking it more and more every route because I'm fleshing out the world even more. So I definitely liked the game more by the time we're going through our third or fourth route than the first one. But that's just, that's always how my brain works when I play these things. But there are a couple of choices that seem like they potentially have very big stakes. 
that the first time through, I thought they did matter. <laughs> like, I thought the choices I was making at this convention were going to determine whether or not we got enough people at the event to make it successful. But after you play through it multiple times and it's like, oh, okay, that decision that felt important the first time through wasn't actually. Yeah, there is a pretty clearly defined path through the story and you can't deviate off of it very much. Mm-hmm. But yes, coming out of the convention and hosting your event at the Funplex happens. Then you go to the obligatory beach scene for a celebration. Yes. Which is that the thirstiest part of the game? Probably, because, like, everybody's in their swimsuits. And yeah. so if you do, like, <laughs> everyone's in their swimsuits. This is also the chapter where... At the end of the night, you get to pick who you're taking on a romantic date, if that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That is a big scene for character interaction, for kind of solidifying um, your relationships, for figuring out who's going to be close to you, if anyone, throughout the rest of the game. And then we come into the next chapter, where you start going through the discussion of a potential buyout. Mm-hmm. Which, and you know, that's actually one thing. I will say this about the beach scene. If you are going through the routes and you are um, courting individual people, this is where you get some of the biggest, like, deviation in scenes. Like, you'll go to an entirely new place with an entirely new, like, background art that you've never seen before based on who you pick some of the time. Each person has an individual date scene. Yes. Which all the scenes leading up... You can still pick different people to spend time with, but it's sort of the same setting. Like, there's a place called The Whole Story next to the arcade that is owned by a really charming gay couple, and it's just books and donuts, and you can basically go there to have lunch and kind of pick who you're inviting to eat with you. So the conversation will change, but you're still going to this place to do it. And a lot of other conversations just happen around the arcade because that's where you're at. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. The individual dates are distinctly different. They're entirely different areas and they're alone, like no mm -hmm. one else is around. Because, yeah, it's kind of, well, first of all, your iris is like, I've calculated the percentage chance of having a successful romance if you take this person on a moonlit walk on the beach at the end of the night. But before you get to the, you know, moonlit beach at the end, whoever you're inviting on a date kind of picks the first half of that. So you kind of go somewhere that's more in line with their personality and what they want to do first. But yes, then then you start getting pressure from Deco's Palace, which is the big arcade capitalist of the area, who has apparently been trying to buy Francine's Funplex for a long time and has had meetings with her that she has always declined up until this point. But now he's like, hmm, well, this, this arcader I've heard so much about is you know, starting to make waves and having these big successful events now. So, hmm, they work for Francine. Maybe I just invite them to a meeting and try to get my foot in the door, you know, the back way. Yeah, more naming jokes. Dekonami is the... <laughs> Dekonami, that's right. <laughs> the owner of the arcade Monopoly that is crushing all of the little guys underfoot. It's an anagram for die, Namco. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, when you walk in, um, 
The background art of this place very much gives, like, kind of like Dave and Buster's vibes, almost. Which I had never even heard of until I moved to Kansas City. And I think we've been exactly twice. I think it's similar, but I think it's all of the aspects of sort of chain arcade places cranked up. Yes. Because it's explicitly mentioned that it almost gives off casino vibes. Yes. Like, some of the games have even been modified to be less of a game and more of just a slot machine, basically. Like, they have a Mr. Movie, but it's just hit a button and there's a random outcome to whether or not Movie gets through his maze kind of a thing. Like, you aren't actually playing it, so... And it's still legal to set up gambling machines for kids as long as you don't call them gambling machines. (laughs) Loopholes! But yeah, and they they also have a restaurant built off of it, so you can check out the restaurant if you want. They have a big, um, I guess we didn't say the name of the not League of Legends, but it's Fist of Discomfort. Uh, They have a big Fist of Discomfort tournament happening there. So you can choose any of these people to come with you to this meeting, and they're all going to give their own opinion based on what they're seeing. So if you bring Queen Bee, who is a player of this, she'll even say, like, I've had some, you know, friends who are professional players who have had horrible situations at tournaments at this place. Or if you bring Percy, he's going to be horrified at the mangled Mr. Movie machine. And And if you bring Gavin, he's like, look at all of these good financial ideas. I mean... (laughs) I mean, I mean, they're clearly unethical, but look at all of the profit. <laughs> Gavin isn't completely a capitalist, because he definitely, like, he will still be very upset if you do decide that you want to work with this guy. He does not like it at all, but he's like, if we maybe made it a little more ethical than this. <laughs> maybe there's a line somewhere between what we are doing and what Dekonami is currently doing. Yes. Because Gavin and Naomi, they're kind of always butting heads because Naomi is just like, just geek at heart, just absolutely nerding over all of these games and like loves the original games, loves the artwork of the cabinets, loves keeping things retro, you know, the the good old fashioned kind of arcade experience. And Gavin's like, I'm trying to keep this company alive. <laughs> like we are constantly on the edge of bankruptcy do we really need this game that is nobody's actually going to come in to play? <laughs> Even though it's a classic, there is no money in this. So they're they're kind of always fighting back and forth. Which is interesting, because if you do not romance either of them, the two of them end up getting together. And I think that's the only situation of another couple happening that does not involve you. It is, I think. I think it is the only one. It also completely caught us off guard the first time we hit that. Yes. We were like, Gavin and Naomi? Wow. Were those our first two? Naomi, then Gavin? We did Naomi and then Queen Bee. Oh, right. Okay. And then I think Gavin was the third one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we did the Queen Bee route, and we romanced Queen Bee, and then Gavin and Naomi went together. But we didn't know everything about Gavin yet, because we hadn't done his route, so we were like, pardon me. So after you go have a chat with the most hated character in the game, regardless of what you do, you come back to the arcade, and the arcade owner has passed. R.I.P. Francine. 
And in their will, they have passed ownership of the arcade down to their descendants, who want nothing to do with the arcade, and Dekunami has already made a deal and has bought it from them. Yep. So you have one quick scene where you can choose either to punch Dekunami right in his dumb face or not. <laughs> yeah, the, the options are like, kick his ass, literally. Kick his ass, figuratively. <laughs> or something maybe a little more toned down. <laughs> But the conclusion of that is basically spiraling into a bit of depression into the chapter titled New Game Plus, and then getting a second wind thanks to whoever is closest to you and deciding to start your own arcade. Yes. Funplex 2, Electric Boogaloo. This one you can name whatever you want. The default, if you don't put anything in, is Arcade Spirits. Which is what we did every single time. We we <laughs> never entered another name for anything. <laughs> we were always Ari Cater. We looked different every time. And we rotated pronouns every time. But other than that, our name is Ari Cater and we're going to open Arcade Spirits. <laughs> but getting into this last stage, you have a few options in who you're going to accept as the investor for your new arcade, and what you're going to do, whether you're going to be a bare-bones gaming sort of arcade similar to the Funplex, if you're going to try a barcade, if you're going to try to do the whole restaurant arcade thing. And you have a few options as to how you're going to set things up. And which who, who your business partners who, are, because you can't afford this. Right, exactly. <laughs> you still live in an apartment with a roommate. And you eat pizza bagels every single day. And have been for a long time. <laughs> But you get that started off, and you get a pretty good showing on day one, except there's a group of saboteurs. Saboteurs! And they wreck your whole day. Well, first, your day already starts off rocky. And here's the thing. No matter who you are with, whether it's your friend Juniper as your friend Juniper, or if it's your friend Juniper who you are now starting to romance, or if it's any of these new people you're starting to romance... This is like, you start the day off, the opening of your arcade is going to start with interpersonal drama that just absolutely comes out of nowhere and hits you like a truck. Yes. <laughs> and the first time this happened with Naomi, we were like, where is this coming from? <laughs> it was... What? That one at least made a little more sense because she's there working with you and she's fighting with Gavin as she always is. So that it... one was a little more... It made a little more sense than some of the other ones, I think. I was about to say the opposite. Really? I was about to say that some of the ways that she reacted were more extreme than we had seen from her character throughout the entire game. I think that's true of every character in this scene, though. Okay. I think everybody gets, like, the melodrama cranked up. Gotcha. For the sake of... Starting a fight? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Because, like, yeah, she's fighting with Gavin, which isn't abnormal. But what she really digs her heels into is kind of like, do we really need this right now? Yeah. <laughs> do we really need this right now? Which is, uh, oh, because she wanted uh, to put, like, penguins out on the cabinet, right? Which, by the way, there's one in, like, every scene. There's this adorable little penguin. Little penguin guy. Right. And and there was the very real concern of, hey, the company that owns this symbol is very litigious, and we cannot handle a potential lawsuit. Yes. 
But a similar thing happens with every character. There's a, there's a bit of relationship drama leading into the day, and then a bunch of saboteurs ruin things on opening day, and it's a whole big problem. Yeah, and the thing is, so, like, yeah, Ashley, or, um, Naomi has this absolute major fight and ends up getting mad at us, no matter how we try to resolve it. (laughs) Even if you pick the most, like, sensitive options, whoever you're with is going to take it in the least charitable way possible. In in every instance, there's a fight that you resolve later. Later. (laughs) Because of things that we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. And, And some of them really do come out of nowhere. And because of that, I actually think my least favorite one might be... Juniper for this scene because oh right overall I I loved the like end of beach day scene with Juniper the couple of options whether it's romance or still platonic I liked those a lot I thought that was a great scene but now we've been living with Juniper for years <laughs> as roommates and now on the opening day of our arcade where you can have her help with branding you can have her create a new character to be the mascot of the arcade, you have her, like, she can draw, like, posters and advertising and stuff for it. So she's, like, actively trying to help build your arcade's brand. And it's opening day. She knows how stressful this is and how much this means to you. You've been living together for years. And now all of a sudden she's like, by the way, you're a freaking slob. Clean clean up the damn apartment once in a while, maybe. And it's like, you've never told me this before ever, even once. <laughs> Where's all this coming from? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I oh, I can't stand it. Because I... that, that, that just implies that there has been a conversation that has needed to happen for a very long time. And, and it, it uh, could have come up literally any other time. Literally yeah. any other time. I think the one that I can't, I honestly can't remember all of them right now. I remember Queen Bee's making sense. Because it was Queen Bee got a huge career opportunity that could involve her moving elsewhere. Yes, right as you're starting this sort of relationship-ish. Queen Bee is the only one where they don't really put a label on it. And they kind of have a conversation about, like, let's just keep being the way we are. We don't have to rush this or put a label on it right now. So you get a little bit of variation into you know, sort of the terms of each of these relationships, but it's still a bummer you're starting a relationship with a new person and now they might be moving. So that that's a big one. And I did think that one fit pretty well. That one and Percy's. I think those are the only two that didn't have me, like, viscerally angry. <laughs> Percy's, Percy's was medical issues are getting worse and they're his family wants him to try some other, like, get a second opinion sort there, of thing. There's a new treatment that they think will be very effective for him, and he's outright refusing it. And we haven't met the parents yet, but his mom is like, hey, maybe you can convince him to do this? So those are at least, like, bigger life things that aren't just... There are also things that are coming from an outside source that don't know how important this day is. Yes, exactly. Like, Queen Bee couldn't control when she got this new, like, letter job offer. And, yeah, it's Percy's mom who is just inadvertently picking the worst possible opportunity to try to get a hold of you about this big thing. But other than that, it's like, Gavin, you should know better. Naomi, you should know better. Ashley, you should know better. 
what are you all doing? <laughs> I guess Teo's was also kind of a job offer too, wasn't it? It was. It was to be a sort of community manager that worked in a broader area across the country mm-hmm. for the sort of rhythm game company yeah. or a rhythm game company. But anyway, past the drama, the day goes on, stuff starts working. You find out that a little group of Pac-Man ghosts has been causing problems. Not the Pac-Man ghosts! <laughs> and this all concludes with a rival gang, rival to the Pac-Man ghosts, coming in and inadvertently shooting you. Yes. Yup. <laughs> it escalates fast. It does escalate fast. Yeah, so you've got these ghost monsters who are causing havoc. They're just like wrecking shit all over your arcade. Don't really know why other gang comes in and starts <laughs> start something, but that happens. It's it's their turf. It's the go- their ghost turf. monsters aren't supposed to be in this side of town. Yeah, okay. Fine. <laughs> so, hey, surprise, now you're in the hospital. <laughs> you're fine, mostly. You got shot in the leg. Yeah, it's not ideal. So now... You're going to be laid up for a while, but you got to figure out why people are sabotaging your arcade so you can make it stop, so that you can try to actually make this work. And this was a bit of an odd one, because you, in trying to investigate, you can take a lot of different routes to try to figure out who these people are and why they're sabotaging you, but you don't go as yourself. You go as two of the other characters. Right. From the seven... Friends that you have, friends slash romantic interests, and Iris, they split up into four groups of two, and you choose which one you go, and each one is a unique scene with different people trying to investigate this problem. Yeah, so the leader of this uh, ghost gang is named Sue. Sue. Nami! One of the little tidbits you learn on this secret uh, adventure, there are a lot of different ways to come to that conclusion that actually are very different settings and ways about it, but... But they all end in the same conclusion, which is that your arch-nemesis, Dekonami, has gotten their... Super Haxor daughter. Super Haxor daughter and her gang to sabotage your arcade. And has probably done this more than once. This seems like a thing that they have just done. So, you have the information, and you go to talk to her at night in an abandoned-looking warehouse, because that's a great idea. (laughs) One thing I did like, because you've got Tsunami, who's the head of these ghost monsters, and she has four hench people, that three of them basically like the same dude with a reskin. Like, they're the same size (laughs) and shape. Just big guys. They're very similar artwork that are color patterned differently, yes. Yeah. And they all have, like, a little, like, picture of their ghost symbol on on their clothing. And, of course, once you learn their names, it's Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde. But Clyde is just a precious little non-binary baby. I love them so much. (laughs) Clyde is... One of the characters in the game that is exclusively referred to with they, them pronouns by other people around them, and that just is how it is, which I always love when that is. It doesn't have to be a big conversation every time. But um, 
Clyde's just so little, just tiny little, like, mop-haired, kind of messy, much tinier than all these other big buff, like, bouncer guys. <laughs> and I was like, of course, of course, Clyde. Like, I did play a lot of Pac-Man on, on an actual uh, retro machine when I was a kid. There was a diner in my hometown that I would go to with my grandma. It was called Boomer's. And they had a Pac-Man machine, and I would play that every time we went to Boomers. And I always loved Clyde the Ghost because he had the silly name. Like, he, he's the only one who, who bucked the naming convention. <laughs> uh, so that was great. And then I think I I noticed this immediately because I'm, I'm very in tune with Pac-Man. But when you're in this old warehouse, you get sort of on an upper level looking down at all the games that are here in this warehouse and it is very much like it is a pac-man course <laughs> basically um and as soon as i saw that i was like oh my gosh i really hope we have a pseudo pac-man game going on here and that is one of the options <laughs> there are a few ways to resolve this final scene basically you come in and Sue and her father are having a conversation and you interrupt one way or another. And it comes down to this event where you are trying to convince Sue to turn on her father. Mm -hmm. And there are a few different ways that you go about this. It's a bagel eating contest. <laughs> there's, there's that. There is the Pac-Man maze. There is just a series of dialogue options. You try to convince them. There's also a... I challenge you to a game off. A video game duel. Yes. Which happens using the video game that you got from the auction earlier. So there mm -hmm. are a few different ways that that path is told. Mm -hmm. And when you actually play the pseudo Pac-Man game with the other ghost monsters, it's kind of more like a game of keep away than anything. <laughs> Like, they, they have an item that you're trying to obtain from them in the four corners of this map. And there are a variety of ways you can go about trying to retrieve these. And it's not a guarantee that you will succeed in getting Sue to turn on her father. But coming from the two of us who actively tried to fail a couple of times just to see what would happen, it is difficult. <laughs> It is difficult to fail. It is difficult to we, fail. We had to try really hard to we fail. We tried really hard to fail, and we failed at failing a couple of times. <laughs> and then you theoretically live happily ever after with whomever it is you're living happily ever after with, whether or not it's romantic. And honestly, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm excited to play the new Challengers. I like that... If you choose nobody, it outright says, I am a romantic asexual. Those words are canon. They are in the dialogue. I did like the way that conversation was handled overall. I kind of think it's funny that this sentient app on your phone gets a little flustered, like she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> so it's just kind of yeah, realistic, you know? But um, yeah, that little scene we mentioned before with the investigators investigating this game, you see Dekonami kind of get dethroned. He uh, actually ends up like his daughter has all this dirt on him. So there's like press conferences going on. But then you have, you know, a figure in a suit and sunglasses who take him in for questioning. And that's sort of the, ooh, cliffhanger. Uh, a woman in black. A woman in black. Who 
we actually get to meet a little bit in one of the roots. Is it Teo's root that we actually see her when she's off the clock? Possibly. I can't remember. But yes, he ends up in questioning by the secret organization who are searching for more machines like the one that we encountered mm-hmm. in a post credit scene. Yes. We'll, of course, put all the links for finding Arcade Spirits and the new challengers in the show notes. We'll also send you in the direction of the creator of the game, Stefan Gagne, sometimes known as Two Flower. And if you're interested in hearing from more Arrow and or Ace people who are in gaming, we'll go ahead and add a link as well to a panel that was put on about a year ago by Queerty Gamers that Stefan was a member on. Uh, we watched it. We thought it was very well done. We obviously have the creator of Arcade Spirits. We have an aromantic Twitch streamer who sometimes streams in drag. And then an ace staff member at Fist of Discomfort. <laughs> no, no, not that one. League of Legends. Riot Games, if we're being politically correct. <laughs> if we're naming the actual company if we're naming and the not the product. <laughs> And just for the fun of it, because I know um, lately we've been getting yelled at to stop uh, to stop retweeting things uh, by our our friend Sharky and Satan, who both have interviews <laughs> on the podcast at this time. If you're more of a more more of a, a watcher than a player of games, I was gonna say. The Aces playing at Attraction did play all the roots of Arcade Spirits as well. And some of those videos are available on their YouTube channel, even though they played the game a while ago. Uploading to the YouTube channel is a little bit behind, so you can watch it as they come out on the YouTube channel, as if it were a live release. Wow. We popped into just one of those videos after we played through all the roots. And Sharky just randomly started doing a Kermit the Frog voice for Teo during a Teo route they were doing, and that had us cracking up, so. I also saw one scene where Satan got very flustered by the flirty beach scene. Ah, yes. There, there are, (laughs) there are, it is a dating simulator, so there are very flirty dating simmy tropes, which we find fun to get I, flustered at. I think it was I think it was honestly the chat commentary paired with the mm-hmm. scene, but mm-hmm. see it's I, I just think it's so funny. It's just a way of like dipping your toe into the owl world in a way that doesn't actually matter. You are not actually flirting with someone, someone's not actually flirting with you. And that's why we like it, because we as Aspects can kind of make fun of it that way <laughs> in a way where we still are having fun. We're still playing a game. I don't know why so many of us do this, but we do. So there we have it. Since so many arrows and aces that I know play dating simulators, I love that we have one where you can canonically be arrow ace. And I hope we just get more going into the future. I know we've still got some on our list, 
that I think would also qualify, but we're, we're we, working through them. We have a big list. The list is getting things added to them more frequently than we're playing games. Oh, yes. <laughs> so if you're interested in hearing about more games with representation for the A Sandor Arrow communities, we'll have more. <laughs> they are coming. Let us know. So I think that's going to be all for today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your Aromantic Spectrum Awareness Week. We'll go ahead and pop some resources about Arrow Week in the show notes as well. And don't forget to check out the Marketplace, support some Arrow creators this week. And until next time, always remember that when you have pizza on a bagel, you can have pizza anytime. <laughs>